Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. You can't pick them. Like children will say to me, yeah, but yeah, I know this happens, but it wouldn't happen to me because I could pick a pedo. And I'm going, but the reality is you can't. Susan McLean is a name that you need to remember because she might just save you a whole world of pain, despair, grief and worry. She's known as the Cyber Safety Cop, having participated in training programs all over the world, including the FBI in Dallas, the UK and Germany, and she subsequently travelled the world sharing her knowledge and expertise. In 2009, she saw an opportunity to pursue a newfound career in cybercrime, and after 27 years with Victoria Police, she's really never look back. So do you think you know every connection that your child is making on the many electronic devices that they have access to, whether that be at home, at school, or maybe even a friend's house? Even the most safety conscious parents couldn't say surely that they know 100% of the time. 
Susan may very well frighten you with the ease in which your child can be coerced online into behaviours that they'd never normally entertain. How many times do we hear of a child who's been groomed so well by someone they think they know, but in reality it's often a predator hiding behind a facade which is so very different to what or who they portray to be? And you don't have to be a child to be groomed and manipulated into doing things that this supposed friend has suggested. We read story after story of dating, romance and financial scams. These predators are very, very good at what they do and unfortunately for us, they are masters in persuasion and manipulation techniques. One small lapse in judgment is all it takes. That's why you need to remember Susan's name, Susan McLean. McLean. <laughs> Not sure which one to use, Susan, sorry. I answer to them all. <laughs> but she's known as the cyber cop. She's going to help you in minimising the risks of your child being groomed or even bullied online and provide some steps that could save much heartache. So Susan, thank you so much out of your busy world to um, uh, be a guest with NFI. I'm sure people will learn a lot today. So thanks. And it's my pleasure. And you know, this is a great benefit of technology that you know we can connect, we can share, and lots of people can get access to the correct information. Yes. And uh, as Susan and I have just been saying, um, Uh, off uh, this recording, the misinformation that is out there, there's a lot of it. So let's, um, let's hear it from the horse's mouth, the expert. And so, Susan, what was it that hooked you into the world of cybercrime way back in your career with Victoria Police? Well, it was a matter of, um, in 1994, a year eight coordinator at a school in Melbourne rang me up and asked me to come up and have a chat with some of his students, you know, the, the, the police talk. And, you know, that was something that you did, you know, had they run away from home, were they drinking alcohol, shoplifting? So that was the run of the mill type activity. And when I got to the school, he started a conversation about the internet and I was sort of looking a bit blank because in 1994, Victoria Police were not connected to the internet mainstream. Um, I didn't own a mobile phone and I wasn't odd. And it was like, (laughs) okay, move on. Like, what am I here for? And he said, no, no, we need to talk about the, I need to talk about the internet with you. These girls have been mean online. I said, really, can you do that? That's not nice. And that's all I could think of saying. So that sort of case where I had to deal with some girls, what they'd done, they'd gone on to an adult sex chat room. They'd put an ad up. Um, if you want oh free God. sex, please contact this girl with this address and this phone number. Uh, we had to move the family into a motel. Um, for their their own safety because we couldn't stop the stream of men knocking on the door looking for their 13-year-old daughter. So it was like, oh, this is something I don't know anything about. And, you know, I was um, a mother of very young children at that time and it was like, oh, I I really need to upskill myself here, not only for to be an effective police officer um, but as a parent as well. And, you know, there was a smattering of things that occurred in the intervening years, a little bit here, a little bit there. But as the internet grew and developed, then it was really clear to me that it was a tool for good, but it was also a tool for harm. So my little brain initially couldn't 
um, understand uh, misusing technology. I was looking at, oh, wow, you, know, you press a button and magic happens. You're, wow, this is great. Yet <laughs> the, the kids that were 15 steps ahead had worked out that they could use it to harm. So that, that's how it all began. And then it became really clear to me that, that it was going to be a problem. Um, what we need to understand in Australia is because we are a smaller population, um, trends take they trickle along before they blow up. Whereas if you look at the USA and the UK, because they have massive populations, um, things come to the forefront quicker. And I started to dig around and connect with people. Um, and, yeah, and I was invited to America to um, do some training that was um, the, the same training, the, the, the FBI training, working um, the University of New Hampshire um, put that training on. So that, that's really where it started. Mm. You know, it's hard for people listening to imagine, well, particularly the younger people, that in 1994 you said that Victoria Police weren't connected to the internet. That is hard to get your head around, even now, um, you know, being the age that we are and we're so used to it, but we actually weren't connected to the internet. It's just you think, how did it ever, how did we ever survive? (laughs) And not only that, you know, when it first went mainstream, if you like, only the senior sergeant had access. The boss had access, but, you know, the troops on the ground didn't. And then no. the sergeants did, but then the troops on the ground still didn't. I'll tell you a funny story. I When I came back from the, um, the training, I put a proposal to force command for me to establish and manage um, a project. We called it the Victoria Police Cyber Safety Project. And that got approved and that, that was really great. I arrived into the VPC, so the Victorian Police Centre down in the old casino building where I'd been given an office um, on the first morning on the Monday. or it must have been I arrived on the Tuesday. So I just worked Monday. I got to work on the Tuesday and everyone's saying to me, oh, you're famous. And I'm going, what do you mean I'm famous? And they said, you are on 3AW's rumour file. And I said, really? Like, for what? Like, I couldn't really say it. And they said, yes, because remember how yesterday you started the cyber safety project without an internet connection? So I <laughs> I started this project, but I, I had no approval to actually use the internet. So, you know, you had to submit all your reports to get special access to the internet. So, you know, haven't we come a long way? Oh, wow, yeah. You, yeah, we have. But I can just imagine the backlash you got for being on 3AW and, you know, not really even being approved almost. Did you get some um, flack from the superiors? The the rumour file one was a bit of a chuckle. I don't think anyone overly fussed about that. But as my um, knowledge improved um then I did get flack because um, journalists and different people would ask to speak to me about my expertise, um, bearing in mind I, at that point, only person in Australia with my qualifications. And the hierarchy of Victoria Police decided that they didn't want um, anyone um, being a spokesperson for this, they, they didn't really think cyber stuff was their, their bag. And it was quite funny because Neil Mitchell became a huge um, supporter of mine in the early days. He still is. So he would request me 
almost every day just to see what would happen. And he'd get replies such as, oh, no, she's not available this morning, but we can send you Detective Smith. He's from the arson squad, but I'm sure he'll be able to answer your question, you know, and this sort of stuff. So, no, um, you know, it's really odd. Um, I did have one inspector tell me once I was blonde and female, so I really didn't have much going for me, did I? Oh, and that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? You know, how it like, is. I look back to how I was treated, you know, as a female, I mean. Yeah. But you were, you joined in 82, Ma- did you say? March, March 82. Yeah. I joined in 87 and that was difficult enough, but I cannot imagine what you must have gone through in 1982. That would have been, well, worse than 87. Yeah, it, it was. And I mean, at least Victoria Police have, you know, marched forward and, and there's many things that they do now that they do better than they ever did. But it still was very much um, not an occupation for females. They weren't particularly well supported. They were often put down. And I think as we you know, were chatting last week, you know, there was a lot of um, dialogue and banter, if you like, um, around the mess room table, which was just part and parcel of society. It's it's not picking on on police. Um, that same banter today, because society has has grown and progressed, is not acceptable. Um, and it's not that we you know suck things up and and we tolerated stuff we shouldn't. But what is considered acceptable in society today is very different from you know 30 40 years ago and thank goodness we have come a long way and as we both acknowledge so has victoria police like yes. you know most of us so so susan is there a, a typical profile this is probably a very naive question but i don't know a lot about cyber safety is there a typical profile of an online predator who targets children uh, no. And this is the problem. Like I'm often asked, like, you know, what's this and is there a this or should it be that or what do I have to look out for? And this is why it makes it really, really difficult because these people, as you said in the introduction, are supremely talented, far cleverer than you and I and everyone else in between will be at what their aim is. And, you know, you can't pick them. Like children will say to me, yeah, but, yeah, I know this happens, but it wouldn't happen to me because I could pick a pedo. And I'm going, but the reality is you can't. They don't identify themselves. Um, I suppose the one characteristic they have is that they are charismatic. They know how to engage with young people um, and they know how to gain their trust. And it's the same as, you know, in the real world. If you look at, you know, we often have articles in the paper that so-and-so, you know, the local, I don't know, school teacher, um, sport coach, like whoever they were, um, was arrested for, you know, the local police officer. And we had one recently arrested for child abuse material. Uh, when we read about those arrests, the people surrounding them are really shocked because these people didn't draw attention to themselves, flew under the radar, were really, really nice, really charismatic. So why would you suspect that person? And that's what they want. The, the technology aspect, so the, the internet gives opportunity to conduct a very ancient crime in a new way. Mm. Yeah, it's scary stuff, isn't it? And and as I said in my introduction, it's not just kids that get manipulated. Like intelligent, uh, successful, professional people get 
manipulated as well into giving over their life savings or, you know, travelling the world to go and meet someone that they think's the love of their life. It's, gee, they must be good. Oh. And the thing is, um, and it's really hard when you're trying to educate even parents and young people about this, because when you say it, it seems really stupid. Like if I said to you now, you know, um, I'm a Nigerian prince, you know, you know, I'm your great uncle or something, or I'm madly in love with you, or I'm leaving you all this money. Um, you know, when you, when you say it like that, you kind of sound so stupid. Everyone knows that that's not the case, but when it's online, um, when, it sparks an interest in you and then you start to engage, what happens is that it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you're going to believe it because you want to believe it. And no one wants to believe they've been scammed. Um, It's humiliating. There's so much underreporting amongst adults. So they're so invested in the story that it doesn't matter what you say or anyone else says, no. Yeah, I know that. I know that happens to lots of people, but this case is different. And, you know, we see that all the time. I remember um, there was a family in Western Australia, this is years ago, really concerned about their their mother who had, you know, fallen madly in love with someone from uh, the other side of the world. And, you know, he was going to marry her. I mean, he was like 30 years her junior, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She had sent a lot of money over to him. They had to get the federal police to arrest her um, at Perth Airport. They could not convince her not to get on the plane. Mm. And this is the family. Mm. So, you know, the hold that these people have over their victims, be they an adult victim or a child victim, is huge. Mm. And, And the thing that I think about that is that when you say people want to believe it, yes, they do, but also it does happen. These days, people meet people online. So you might think, well, this one is genuine. Like you, as yeah. you say, you want to believe it, but there yeah. are a lot of people that do meet online. So you, oh, yes. It yeah. Did. What I mean, and that's the thing. There's lots and lots of people that are in fabulous, um, respectful yes. and loving relationships thanks to the internet. Yes. Um, so, you know, and it's not even like the cold core scammers. There are certainly issues with many um, alleged um, decent dating sites because the dating site doesn't vet the people. They rely on the honesty of the user. And I can tell you now, if I've just been released from jail for a serious crime, I'm probably not going to put that as a dot point on my profile. <laughs> All right? So, you know, th- th- there was one recently, elite singles. Now, if you look up elite singles, it tells you all, you know, oh, it's, you know, for highly professional people, you know, 90% of our, our people on it have, you know, multiple university degrees, rabbits on like this. But they had someone on it that had been released from jail for murdering his former partner. Now, it got d- downgraded to manslaughter, but, you know, really, that's only splitting hairs. And he, he was on the platform looking for love. You know, so oh, it, it really God. is buyer beware. Uh, do not believe um, any vetting process because there is none. And, you know, it's up to the honesty of the other person. And the, the internet allows for dishonesty. I can remember when I first went, um, when I was doing this project and, and I was un- online a lot and I was also undercover online and things like that. 
I have never met so many really disturbed people in my entire police career than I did when I was online. Now, I'd worked at Fitzroy. I'd been at the Proud Crime Cars. Uh, You know, Dennis Allen used to report on bail at Fitzroy. I was involved in some pretty um, significant criminal um, activity in the police stations I was working in. So I hadn't been, you know, sitting in an office. But when I went went online, um, what I saw was um, shocking to me, Um, you know, it it doesn't shock me anymore, I'm I'm well and truly used to it, but I still remember what those early days were like and what I was seeing and what people were asking of me um, in my undercover persona. So, you know, this is what, you know, you can be whoever you want to be online, it doesn't have to be bad. But, boy, the internet does hide, um, you know, it gives oxygen to the, the real creepy people of the world. Oh, you know, in a way I can thank thank my lucky stars that I'm not single because that is the way that you meet people these days. It's not in – certainly with COVID, it's not in pubs, it's, it's online. But then I think back to when I was young and going out to pubs, like – you know, you take a chance with somebody that you meet at a pub too, don't you? It could be a, a serial killer that you meet at a pub and go home or go out for a drink yeah, or a coffee it, or whatever. It could be, but there's a couple of things I always say to that. One, you tended to frequent um, establishments full of like-minded people. So you sort of had a bit of awareness of, you know, the clientele, if you like, in certain establishments. So you took yourself to one that you felt was aligned with you. Um, yes, Billy at the bar could have been a psychopathic ex-murderer, but <laughs> at least you could see what Billy looked like, really. You could hear him speak. You can, you know, the, all that, you know, intuition stuff is there. Um, and there's plenty of times where in real life people um, get really, you know, really an odd feeling about someone. So, you know, you take yourself away and you go find someone else. But all of that sort of stuff is is missing on the internet. So, yes, bad things certainly still could have happened in those days, and they did. But I think it's just easier now for the wrong things to occur because you're reliant on um, what they're telling you on a screen. You, you don't get to read the body language and the cues and things like that. Like I can, you know, as a police officer, you often had a second sense about people. And I remember, you know, I would often, you'd often have, there'd be someone being in for an interview and before you even knew what they were being interviewed before, I mean, I remember this clearly several times. I thought, oh, I bet that's child sex stuff. Like you just sort of knew, um, but, you know, that that's not the run of the mill um, members of the public, unfortunately, and they're the, they're the primary um, target. And, of course, children are the primary vulnerable population. So everyone's vulnerable, everyone's at risk when they use technology, but, um, you know, kids, kids more so than others. Oh, yeah. Is there a particular pattern with the type of child who's targeted? Uh, no. So there's certainly, if you look at, you know, a, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but my child wouldn't, or child less likely. Obviously, if if a child is well-supported, loving family, connected to their friends in school, they may be less likely to become a victim, but it doesn't mean they can't or they won't. Um, predators are really good at engaging with young people, trying to find sort of their weak link Um, what it is that's bothering them, all of that, and then, you know, honing in on it. 
Certainly children that engage in any form of risky behaviours, be it, you know, drinking alcohol really early, doing drugs, all of that, they are potentially more likely um, to become a victim. But, you know, for every child that's, you know, um, had a hard upbringing that's a victim, I can give you a child that came from a loving home with support and everything else that goes with it. Mm. It is. It's just so frightening. So could you enlighten us maybe with is there a common storyline that um, a predator will use to befriend kids if there is one? Yeah, it'll be flattery. So it'll be something like, hey, you know, saw you pick, you're really cute, um, you're awesome, you're amazing. They might have, um, you're a great dancer, Um if they're grooming them, if their initial contact is in a game, they will be saying how good they are at gaming. That was amazing. That was an amazing move and things like that. And that way um, it lulls the potential victim into this false sense of security in that, well, this person, if you ask a child what is a pedophile or a predator, they'll say it's a really, really, really old man who's mean is a stereotypical um, description and then they'll add in a white van with a lollipop and a puppy dog. But they don't translate that to a random person on the internet. So that's where it's really tricky because these people don't identify themselves. Um, There's nothing about their profile or their language or the initial interactions that will indicate this is what they are. So the best piece of advice I can give any parent, carer, grandparent, aunt, uncle, anyone out there, teachers, is we know that online over 90% of these creeps do not know their victims in real life. So very different to in the real world where we know that the majority of child sexual abuse is committed on children by someone they know and trust. On the internet, it is different. So we've got to be aware that if young people do not engage with random people on the internet, they are substantially reducing the risk of this type of harm. Okay. Okay. Well, there's, there's one really important uh, piece of information that may help because you're right, it's completely the opposite, isn't it, to, yes. as you say, the, the, um, when we were kids, or not kids, as we've become adults, it's the people that we know that are the danger. Yes. A lot of the time, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and that's why, you know, the term stranger danger went out all those years ago because, you know, yeah. historically we, we were teaching children to be aware of a stranger, um, but it was, you know, Uncle Tommy or, you know, Grandpa Joe that were, were the offenders. So, but the, the problem now is we've got to flip it around. And a lot of people will talk about, you know, stranger danger on the internet, which I refuse to do because it is such um, an outdated term. The other thing is that children don't, don't think of them as strangers. You know, if you ask a child, do you talk to strangers online, every child will say no. But then if you say to young people, do you have, do you talk to people online that you don't know in real life? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, then the answer will be yes. So, you know, they don't see them as a stranger. And, of course, this is the other compounding issue is that if you're, if you are telling your brain um, someone is a stranger, you are going to behave very differently towards them than if you are telling your brain this person is my friend. So it allows them to, you know, drop their guard and things like that. Mm. So, so what should a parent look for behaviour-wise, say, in their child? What things would you suggest they sort of think about or look out for? Yeah, so what I always say is please become the world's best expert in your own child. And that means when you notice changes in their demeanour or behaviour, um, you need to investigate. Now, it might be that they've got gastro, so that's why they're not eating their food. Um, they may not want to go to school because they're being teased in the playground. You know, the list goes on. But what I don't want you to do is ignore that because you don't know what is causing the change in behaviour. So that's what we need to get to the bottom of. Um Things that can indicate an online issue can be, um, you know, a previously bubbly child became withdrawn, someone that becomes jumpy, you know, if text messages come in, so a little bit odd there, wanting privacy when they're online, so wanting to having devices in bedrooms and bathrooms, which they should never be, um, being online more than ever before or conversely not being online because, you know, they're scared to go online. So, you know, it's really hard. But we want parents to be an active and involved participant in their on their children's online world. And that means being there with them, letting their children know that no matter what, um, the child can come to them when they've got a problem and get those devices out of areas that you can't supervise. Mm. At what age should a parent begin talking to their kids about this sort of stuff, um, about online safety and what they should, you know, and what should they be telling their kids or advising their kids? So these conversations ideally should happen before a device is handed over. Um, okay. Obviously, it's never it's never too late 
to uh, to start those conversations. However, it is really important that you know the conversation is age and developmentally appropriate. That we need to make sure that the child understands you know what the messaging is and why it is. And really, for every um, real world safety statement or safety message you're going to give your child, there will be an online equivalent. But little children should not be using technology unsupervised. It's like putting your child in the middle of a shopping mall, uh, the Berg Street Mall, for example, in Melbourne or Pitt Street in Sydney, um, you know, at two in the morning and hoping for the best. When you talk about little children, how little so the unsupervised use of the internet really shouldn't occur in primary school, um, you know, because you don't know. Kids are quick. It's very easy to move between screens. Um, if they're, you know, unless you are supervising, you know the platforms they're on, you know what the interactions are, things can go wrong. And yes, it's hard and yes, it's difficult, but you will never forgive yourself if something happens Um because, you know, you found it all too hard and, you know, ignoring bad things doesn't stop them from happening and doesn't prevent them. So we have to be prepared to talk about this. So it's just, you know, it's when they're using any sort of device, it needs to be, um, you know, safety rules. You know, we're going to use it in a common area of the house. Mummy and daddy, are, you're going to t- let me know who you're talking to. I need to know what you're doing. You're the same as if they're out and about. You're going to have those same rules when your children are out and about as well. Mm-hmm. So you may have touched on it then, but so what are some of the ways that a parent can monitor what uh, or who their child is watching, listening to or interacting with? Yeah, so it's about... Um, taking control like really early on and but again it's never too late to start so to start with I always say write down um, or have a set of technology rules for your house so what your kids can do where they can do it who they can talk to so what are the expectations of technologies in this house so that, that that's your basic the stand the stand the basic thing next <laughs> Um, we are going to look at the inbuilt parental controls that come with devices. So you've got a tablet or an iPad, you've got a phone, like whatever it is, what does this device offer me to help keep my child safe? So there will be parental controls that do certain things. Um, So also let's go back a step. There is a risk associated with using technology. There is a risk associated with driving a car, walking to school, playing sport. So it's exactly the same. We can't remove the risk, the same as we can't remove the risk when we're in a car. But what we do is we take steps to minimise that risk. So we wear our seatbelt, we obey the traffic rules, we stop at the red light. So we're online, we know it's a risk. So we need to be able to identify what the problems are or potential problems are and then take steps to minimise and manage. So we're going to do that with parental controls, um, backed up with the rules of the house, and the, and for most people, that is all you need. Most people. 
There are also, um, you know, some families where rules and parental controls don't work because the child, you know, doesn't comply. Um, They might have an intellectual disability, which makes it very hard for them to actually understand uh, what you're trying to protect them from. So then the next level up are what we call third-party products. So this is where you go and buy a product or you can often download them for free um, to help you do that. So these are products that might allow you to block certain apps and platforms, set time limits, um, et cetera, et cetera. And interestingly, over time, you know, devices now themselves offer a lot of these things, but the problem is sometimes the child, if they're really tech savvy, uh, can disengage the, the restrictions. So, you know, that, that doesn't help at all. But with some of the third-party products, you know, they go in under a specific code for mum and dad so the child can't meddle with them. So they're all things to consider. I always say to parents there is no right or wrong, right? There's no you must do this, you must do that. And I can't give you a template to manage this because I don't know your family, I don't know the risk profile of your family, of your children, how compliant they are, the structures of your house or anything like that. So it is to Except that there's risk associated with technology. The risk is obviously predators is one, cyberbullying, exposure to inappropriate content, etc. And then how are you going to, what steps are you going to take to manage that and reduce it to the best of your ability? Do not try to remove the risk because you will fail um, and you will feel miserable. So we don't want that, but we want you to accept that there is a risk and then take steps to minimise that risk. What, what would be the average age that of the first sort of interactions that a child might have uh, with an online predator? I have seen it as young as eight, um, and this is something that concerns me greatly. When I first started working in this space and, you know, the social technology, if you like, was only just being developed and games were just, you know, being developed in the form that we have them now, the early adopters of this were teenagers, right? Young adults and teenagers. So most of the victims of any sort of online harm were older teens because they were the only ones that were there. You know, I would have never found a child in grade six with a smartphone. It simply just wouldn't have happened. So there's no opportunity for that child to come to harm online because there was they weren't there. So now over time... Um, younger and younger and younger children have got access to technology. So that means younger and younger and younger children potentially can can become a victim. And I've seen children as young as eight who have been groomed online. Let me say on platforms that they should not have been on. So something that I bang on about all the time and I never, ever will make apologies for this is that one of the avenues you have to help keep your children safer longer is to make sure that they're not signing up for platforms they shouldn't be on. So all the main platforms will have a legal minimum age of 13. So unless your child's 13, they should not be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Snapchat, because they're all 13. Now, I accept a 13-year-old can be groomed online but I should never have to deal with a 10-year-old that's groomed on Instagram because they shouldn't be there. 
And you would all know that if you've got in your household three children, for example, one's 15, one's 12, and one's eight, and you offer a bit of a carrot to them to do some unsavory job around the house, fair chance it's the eight-year-old that's going to jump at it because the older two won't. Right? They'll hang out for more money or something like that. So they're easier victims, so it's a perfect storm. Lots of little people online, on platforms they shouldn't be on, unsupervised, and then away we go. And, you know, there is still a proportion of parents that do not understand what YouTube actually is. Like it's not TV. Oh, but I watch it on my TV. Yes, but it's not TV. Or, oh, but they're playing a cute little game. Well, who do you think are attracted to cute little games if cute little games are full of cute little children? That would be the pedophiles of the world. So there's still a lot um, of work to do in relation to um, educating parents and carers. But but you say that 13 is the age, you know, it asks are you uh, 13 or above, but there's going to be those smart young kids that, you know, are 9 or 10 and say, well, yes, I'm over 13. It's pretty easy, isn't it, or is that being a bit Oh, no, no, it's easy to lie online. It's easy to sign up for these platforms. But what I get to see is the majority of kids that are on these platforms are there with parental consent, and that's what I don't get, how any parent can validate to themselves the fact that they help their child to lie about their age, to go somewhere they shouldn't be, Hmm. to go into a known place of risk any time before they needed to be there. I don't know how they justify that to themselves, mm. but but they do. There's always going to be the odd kid that does it behind mum and dad's back. But in my experiences, what I see, it's, oh, but my mum said it was fine, and that's really sad. Boy, yeah, it is. Uh, so what, what should a parent do if they discover some of this concerning behaviour that you're talking about with uh, you're saying about wanting more privacy, being a bit jumpy, uh, being this bubbly person is suddenly or suddenly, yeah, maybe, uh, withdrawn, wanting to um, not be on the internet or when they have been all the time, all these sort of behaviours. What should a parent do or what are the options for a parent to do when they are, they do uh, feel these behaviours are out of the ordinary. Yeah. So investigate to the best of your ability. Um, sit down with your child. Have a very calm and balanced discussion. Um, I've noticed this. I'm a bit concerned about that. Um, I just have to let you know that you're not in any trouble. But you know, my job is to keep you safe, and I'm just a little bit concerned that something might be going on online. Um, obviously, you should know their passcodes and passwords for all their apps and platforms and devices. So you certainly have every right, and you should be um, checking up on what they're doing online. And I don't mean read every keystroke because that's ridiculous. But you know, know who they're talking to, know the connections. Um, often you can. I mean, I often have parents ring me where they've checked their child's phone, found some pretty compelling evidence, um, and then what do I do now? So let's say um, your child has confided in you either because you've asked or they've come forward to say they've got a problem on the internet. Um, What do I do? Well, first of all, ask what it is, what has happened. So we'll start with cyberbullying. If your child's being cyberbullied, what we want you to do is to reassure them that telling is the right thing to do. There's there's still a fear around speaking up 
And I try to explain to people the thing that gives people their power to hurt us is silence. So we need to be brave and we need to tell. Then we need to keep copies of everything. We want to retain that evidence, block the offending person. So block them on the game, block the phone number, like technical solutions. And then we take it to the school. We know most um, youth cyberbullying, if you like, is within a school. And schools all around Australia are legally obligated to deal with all forms of bullying, including cyberbullying, that is reported to them. And that includes being bullied on Instagram at night. So you take it to the school, you explain that this has occurred, and the school should deal with it as per their policies. So that that is cyberbullying. Um, obviously, if your child is particularly distressed, if you're worried about their mental health and things like that, then you're going to visit your GP. You're going to get a referral to a mental health clinician. So that's really important. If you've had this conversation, your child has disclosed or you have found evidence of what you believe is grooming, my best piece of advice is trust, back yourself in and trust your gut. You are the adult. And unfortunately, if you think it's grooming, it in 99% of the cases will be. Same scenario, reassure your child they are not in any trouble whatsoever. Take screenshots of everything, save the evidence, uh, log off and walk away. Make sure your child does not touch their accounts at all. Do not touch the offender's account. Do not close your child's account down. Leave it open, but just don't use it. And then visit your local police station with all of that evidence to make a report. Police can retrieve data out of closed accounts, um, so that's not an issue. However, it is easier to get data out of opened accounts. So that's why we want to leave your child's account as it is. Because another thing that police will sometimes do, not always, but sometimes, is that they will actually take over the account of the child to keep the grooming happening to gather more evidence. Now, I know on CSI, everyone's favourite online TV crime show, there's often episodes where mum has a crack at that. Mum gets online and pretends to be the daughter to catch the pedophile. And I know every second person dreamed of being a detective and if I can have a crack at it, why wouldn't I? Well, in TV land... It works. And in fact, being a TV detective would be really boring because they always get the bad guy in about 55 minutes. So really, you know, who wants that? But if you try that in real life, you are likely to be charged with entrapment, which means there is a fair chance you might go to jail. So we don't want that. So please don't have a crack at that. The detectives, however can do that, not because they're special or anything like that, but they will do it in a way that is legally admissible in court, Um, and that is a big difference. So that's what we need to do, take everything to the local police station um, and make that report. Now, on that note, last night on SBS at 8.30 was a documentary entitled The Children in the Pictures. It was a documentary um, done in conjunction with Task Force Argos, which is Queensland Police's online child exploitation team. They are amazing. The head of that, John Rouse, who has now moved to the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, is a world expert in this space. He has no peer Right. He is amazing. So the one hour, I think it was 90 minute documentary is all about how police, how Argos worked to take down several international um, child abuse rings. It is compelling viewing. It is confronting viewing. But 
I encourage every person that's listening to this podcast to get onto SBS On Demand because it's still it will be there for a long time and watch it, the children in the pictures, and that will leave you in no doubt about the fact that this is real. Um, it involves kids just like yours in Australia. Oh, gee, it is. It, it's just, it's so scary. What? Um, so we'll just go over that. The children in the picture on SBS. Yep. In the pictures. In the pictures, yep. Yep, and it aired last night. Um, but if you go, if you just Google the children in the pictures, it will take you to, it'll say SBS on demand. So it's, you know, their catch-up um, part of SBS, so it's there. Um, I know there were... Um, several charities around Australia were sort of offering screening, so they were hosting a screening. But okay. um, I don't care how you say it, but it, it really is a much watch because on um, Child Protection Week, which was a few weeks ago, some statistics were released which were really concerning to me, and one was that 80% of parents believed that online child exploitation would not happen to their child, would not happen. And that is a very concerning statistic because you need to accept that it might. We hope it doesn't, but this now nah, won't happen to my kid. Therefore, you know, um, I don't need to worry about it. That is a fallacy. Mm. So what if um, somebody goes to the police and I hate to say this, but it would happen sometimes where the police might go, oh, look, we can't help you with that. Where do they go then? Um, yes. So, unfortunately, as you said, it does happen. Um, in my mind, it happens. It should never happen. So once is is too much. But whilst we have um, very highly trained detectives like those that you will see in the children in the pictures, you can't get access to them. You have to rely on Constable Smith or Constable Jones, who's at the watch house counter at your local police station. If you ever try to report grooming and you are given a short shift or told that there's nothing we can do or we don't investigate TikTok or the offenders overseas or whatever that might be, I am more than happy um, for them to, to contact me through my website, which is cybersafetysolutions.com.au, and drop me an email and say, hey, we tried to do this. Um, what can you suggest? So I don't investigate things, I don't jump in, but what I do have the ability to do is to provide a conduit between them and police. So I've got contacts in all the state police forces. Um, I still, John Rouse and I go back a long way, so I often email him with jobs and then he allocates them correctly. So um, I'm not a crisis line. I'm not going to answer you at two in the morning. If your child is in an immediate risk of harm, then you ring triple zero. But if you want to just shoot me an email and go, hey, we tried to do this, they wouldn't listen to us, what can I do now? Then I'm more than happy to help you. You're probably opening up Pandora's box there, but it also shows how passionate that you are about trying to keep our kids safe. And so let's just give that website out again if we can, Susan. Yes, so my website is www 
cyber safety solutions. So it's all one word, plural on the S, the solutions.com.au. But if you Google my name, Susan McLean, you will find my website. You will find my Facebook page. I post stuff out all the time on my Facebook page, latest tips, trends, things to be aware of, what to avoid. Um, It's all there for people to use um, as they need to. Okay. You just spoke before about that with the uh, online bullying or the cyber bullying that the parents can go to the school and the school do what they do and they had the school have policies what are the policies at a school if it is rep- if uh, cyber bullying is reported to them well the policy should be a lot it should be within the bullying policy so you, all schools should have a bullying policy which talks about all forms of bullying be they physical bullying psychological bullying or cyber bullying and then there will be there should be um a definition of what it is what it looks like and when it's reported to the school, what the school will do. So that would be to take it seriously, to reassure the victim that they will act and support them and then deal with the um, alleged offender the same way as any other form of bullying. So that might be um, counselling, it might be suspension, like there's a whole, it's, it, it, all this, the range of um, punishments that are available to a school for anything uh, should be available for someone that is engaging in cyberbullying. In my experience, over 90% of all school-based cyberbullying when it's reported to the school is dealt with correctly. So it's resolved, move on. However, in that, you know, 8% perhaps it's not, you might need to involve the police. Cyberbullying is a criminal offence in every state and territory in Australia. So the three times that I would always suggest police involvement is, one, when despite the school's best effort, it does not stop, Two, where the school doesn't know who the offender is. Like if you don't know the offender is, you know, Tommy Jones, then you're not going to be able to deal with it. And lastly, if threats have been made to personal safety, it should go to the police. Looking forward to you returning next week for part two of Susan McLean, the cyber safety cop's riveting insight into the world of cyberbullying and of grooming children online. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there, 
who continue to support me. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 